Good evening. This is Lama Jigme Kyatso of the Buddha Joy Meditation School. Welcome to Meditate Like a Jedi. Tonight, let us discuss the science of sitting. Because if you're going to meditate, sitting is going to be a big part of your life. You'll notice I'm going. Be I'm moving between two cameras because I'm simultaneously live streaming on Instagram as well as YouTube. If you are going to sit on a chair, there is no shame in that. Make sure that your feet are flat upon the floor. Move your tushy to the very edge of the seat and sit upright with your head over your shoulders, your shoulders over your pelvis. Allow the spine to bear more of your weight than your muscles. For those of us <coughs> who choose to sit upon the floor, I applaud you for your courage. It is inconvenient to learn this skill, but it will serve you well. There are many ways to do this. Um, in Japan, it's popular to sit in a kneeling position with uh, Big toes folded over. In fact, I'm going to adjust the camera right now on the laptop. Okay, so your feet are folded thusly, and you sit with your tusks on your heels. Now, this is tough to maintain for more than 20 minutes. At least it is for me. An additional way to sit is with your feet in front of you. Either with your feet in front of you, um, a meter out, or with your feet in front of you, all the way in, and cobbler's pose. This is not a favorite of mine. Another one that's very popular, sometimes known as the Tara pose, is for one foot to be in, shin on the ground, other foot right in front of it. Personally, I don't like it because it places an asymmetric pressure on one's SI joint, which is not a problem unless, like me, you've injured yourself in the past doing dead, uh, dead, what's it, dead, deadlifts. That's it, deadlifts. So, now that we've got that out of the way, let's explore the wonderful world of the lotus position. First, we begin with the quarter lotus position. Uh, one leg is flat on the ground. The shin is touching the ground. Now, you, the key is not to force your knee. You do not rotate for the knee because the knee is a hinge joint. You rotate from the hip because the hip is a ball joint. You then place the other leg, and by the way, you bring this, the bottom leg in as close as you can. And some people complain that they don't want the, the crown or their ankle touching the floor. I don't like that either. So what I do is I twist the uh, foot out because there are two bones in our wrist that allows it to twist. There are also two bones in our lower leg that allow it to articulate in a similar manner. So you want the top of your foot touching the ground. In the long term, that is much more sustainable than grinding the crown of your ankle into the ground. You do likewise with the other leg, resting it upon its support. 
now. This is my favorite sitting posture. When we look at the most ancient Buddhist statuary, we do not see the Buddha sitting in a full lotus. We see him sitting in this posture instead. It isn't until um, the teachings were kind of co-opted by the Hindu establishment that we began to see statues of the Buddha in the lotus posture. But if you were interested in cultivating that posture, it's not a problem. Once you're comfortable in quarter lotus, we move to half lotus, which just means we take the top leg and rest it upon the thigh. Once you become, become comfortable with this, we can do likewise with the other leg. So now you look like a Buddha statue. Personally, I don't care for this. I don't find it sustainable, if, especially if one is going to sit for 60 minutes. My favorite version is simply the quarter lotus. That concludes my explanations of the science of sitting. But while we were here, we might as well meditate. Since we've been talking about the body, let's meditate upon the body. I'm going to adjust the laptop. So the guided meditations, you can, if you're following along on Instagram, you are, by the way, let me say quickly make a couple waves to my pals on Instagram. There we go. So if you're following along on Instagram, it'll be a purely auditory experience. If you, if you prefer actually reading the guided meditations, you may want to jump over to the, um, the YouTube live stream, and that's easy enough to do. Just go to my bio, click the link, go to my website, find the YouTube icon, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You're, you're on my YouTube channel. But having said that, let us dig right in. I'm going to go into a share screen mode for my friends on YouTube. Let's see here, share screen. And there we are. The Buddha taught four bases of mindfulness. The base we're going to focus on right now is the body. My friend, I'm, I'm doing a live stream, but I'm sorry if I distracted you from your walk. I'm sorry, I just... That's okay, no problem at all. No problem at all. So, we are focusing on the body, and we're going to view the body through the lens of the three marks of existence. Doing this helps us to let go not through an act of will or through an act of uh, affirmation, but through an act of reasoning that the Buddha called vipassana or contemplation. There is a fundamental duality between pushing and pulling, between pushing pain away pulling pleasure to us or reaching for pleasure. Now, neither is good or bad. 
having an aversion to pain or a desire for pleasure is not a spiritual indictment. Not at all. Not even a little bit. What separates the men from the boys, or the women from the girls, or the Buddhas from the boobs is not whether they feel aversion or avarice, uh, pushing or pulling, it's what they do with those impulses. And what they do is they get very good at noticing them, and working through them, and letting go. And that is what we shall do right now. We shall begin with pain. This, for an aversion to pain, is wired, hardwired into the brainstem of every complex um, living being upon this planet. <coughs> it is a useful tool that has been instrumental in our collective uh, survival. Um, we, in guided meditation, we use a, an economy of syllables, which means our grammar is going to suffer. On the in-breath, we silently and mentally re recite the rhetorical question, how hate pain? During the out-breath, we silently and mentally recite, relaxing. I find it helpful to count this first set with my left thumb on my left little finger and resting it upon the lower set of creases of that left little finger. On our right hand, I'm going to count the creases and then the tip of the right little finger. How hate pain? Relaxing. Remember, the power of a rhetorical question lies not in our efforts to answer it, but rather in our silent and mental recitation of the question and our determination to relax as best we can during the exhalation. Let's do this right now. How hate pain, relaxing. longer we sit in meditation and the more acutely we listen to our body, we will make the subtle adjustments we need to not only perfect our posture, but make it more and more effortless and more and more sustainable. We turn to our second meditation, wherein we take the rhetorical question and divide it in half between the in-breath and the out-breath. During the inhalation, we silently and mentally ask, how could pain? And during the out-breath, we silently and mentally continue, always change. So, how could pain always change? And I counted upon the right uh, ring finger. to adjust this camera here for a moment. Ugh, there you go. And that's terrible. Okay, back over here. We 
we advanced to the third meditation. We counted upon the right middle finger. How could pain not be me? Now, remember, a rhetorical question we do not try to answer. This is not a metaphysical Rubik's Cube for us to solve. It is merely a tool to help us identify less and less with pain. Pain may be a, a frequent visitor in our lives, but it does not have to be our identity. How could pain not be me? In Zen circles, some Zen circles and some Chan circles, there is a belief that the truly enwisened do not use the personal pronoun I or me or mine. However, the, that, is, that is a myth. That is an affectation for when we read the original teachings attributed to the Buddha, the most ancient ones, dating back approximately uh, 25, 26 centuries, he had no problem using the personal pronoun. So let us not get lost in the weeds. We come now to the fourth exercise, which we shall count upon our right index finger. Notice pain relaxing. And now our job is not to force ourselves to notice pain. Our job is simply to silently mentally recite these words in harmony with our breathing. We went from hating pain to merely noticing pain. And that is the essence of the Buddha's journey or path of liberation. Having, having played with the four contemplations of pain, we now do the opposite and perform the four contemplations of pleasure. For the sake of convenience <coughs> and for conservation of syllables, the, we use a, a monosyllabic synonym for pleasure, which is bliss. Some bliss can be very, very coarse. Some bliss can be very, very subtle. But in this context, bliss simply means pleasure. We be, so we're, since we are starting, our second set of four exercises. We advance our left thumb upon our left little finger up to its middle set of creases. Turning our attention back to our right hand, we begin counting on our right little finger. How grasp bliss, relaxing. 
The test of these techniques is not whether they speak to you intuitively. No, not at all. The test of these teachings are the results you generate after practicing them every morning and every evening for six and a half consecutive days. And as always, the, uh, the PDFs of these guided meditations are available for free download approximately an hour or two after each livecast. How grasp bliss? Relaxing. Turn now to the second exercise of this set. How could bliss always change? Let's count it upon our right ring finger. We come now to the third exercise of the second set, which we shall, which we shall count upon our right middle finger. How could bliss not be me? Come now to the fourth exercise of the second set, which we shall which we shall count upon our right index finger. Notice bliss, relaxing. We have gone from craving bliss to merely noticing bliss in, in accord or in harmony with the Buddha's path of liberation. This brings us to our third set of four exercises. Therefore, we turn our attention to our left little finger and advance our left thumb up to the higher set of creases then we return our attention to our right hand and prepare to count on our right little finger. So, imagine, if you will, a tennis court and an opponent on either side of the net. The first opponent was pain. The second opponent was pleasure. The court upon which they play is the body. So having explored our natural aversion to pain and our natural avarice toward pleasure, we're now going to explore our more subtle relationship to the body. How grasp form? And of course form is simply a monosyllabic synonym for body. 
how grasp form, relaxing. We advance to our second exercise, and which, which we shall count upon our right ring finger. How could form always change? We advance to our third exercise of our third set, counting upon our right middle finger. How could form not be me? We advance now to the fourth exercise of our third set, which we shall count upon our right index finger. Notice form relaxing. brings us to our fourth set of exercises. We've done approximately three, no, I take that back, 12 contemplations. And arguably that is a lot of mental work. So now we're, we are going to give our mind a rest. This is known as, uh, this is known colloquially in Tibet as rusting the nature of mind, but that could sound a little spooky. <coughs> so I prefer to describe it as on the in-breath, watching the play of mind, and on the out-breath, relaxing into its release. What, what do we mean by the play of mind? Simply this, our mind perceives, it perceives our sensations and flavors and scents. It perceives sounds and sights. It also perceives its more coarser functions. It perceives emotion and intention and calculation. It also perceives recollection and imagination. It is not our job to label or analyze our experiences. It's merely our job to, ex to watch it in harmony with the in-breath and relax in harmony with the out-breath. Therefore, good, okay. Therefore, during the in-breath, we shall silently and mentally recite, notice this, 
During the out-breath, we shall silently and mentally recite, relaxing. We advance our left thumb up our left little finger until it comes to rest upon the tip, thusly. And we begin counting on, on the creases and tips of our right little and then ring and then middle and then index fingers. <coughs> Let's dig right in. We practice contemplation and we have practiced meditation. Let us conclude by practicing compassion. I'm going, I'm going to jump ahead in the practice text. Let's see, control home, control three. Let's go over here. Two, 98, control G, 98. For the next four exercises, we're going to perform what the Dalai Lama describes as wishing love. So the good news is we do not have to pretend that we are Merlin the Magician or Gandalf the Grey. All we really have to do is wish good things for others. It has been said that words guide intention. intention guides mind, and mind guides energy. It has been said by cosmologists and particle physicists alike that we live in an interdependent universe. Everything affects everything else and is affected by everything else. If not overtly, then subtly. If not immediately, then eventually. Um, if not directly, then indirectly, if not actually, then potentially. <coughs> and it looks like I'm having trouble with my battery. If I can't, if this goes away, don't take it personal. Um, so let me check my battery real quick. Let's see here. The battery says, battery says oy vey. The battery actually said oy vey. Clearly, it's my, my computer's had a bar mitzvah. So, Jumping right in, we're going to count on our right little finger. Love, oopsie. 
There we go. Hmm. So, we're going to begin with love for these feels. Relaxing feels as a reference to our own emotions. And we are wishing love for ourselves because our brainstem is already wired that way to make us choose ourselves first. But we can use the momentum of our own selfishness to feed our compassion, local and then global and then universal. Let's jump right in. Love for these feels relaxing. And we turn our attention to our neighbors. Love for neighbors, relaxing, because our happiness is directly proportional to the amount of love that we have for others. Love for neighbors, relaxing. now to earthlings, all beings upon the earth, those who walk or crawl or swim or fly, human and non-human alike. It is imperative that we choose love, we choose compassion, we choose not to exploit or harm any living beings. Of course, one of the easiest ways to do that is to choose a whole food vegan diet. Let us count upon our right ring finger, oopsie, our right middle finger, love for earthlings, relaxing. We conclude by going full intergalactic. Whoops, and I think the computer just died. So goodbye, YouTube. Now it's time for our just, just Instagram. So we conclude by counting upon our index finger. Love for all beings, relaxing. Thank you for your time and your kind attention. May you and yours be healthy and happy. I invite you to go to my bio, find the link to my website, and then find the donation page. And in the words of Jasker from the first season of Witcher, toss a coin to your Witcher Valley of Plenty. May you of yours, may you and yours be healthy and happy. Good evening.